Welcome Proverbs class, Sunday morning, February 10th. We are looking this morning at the subject, praying wisely for your country. I suspect uh, all of you feel like, feel that pretty acutely in these days, that the political climate in America is such, probably we've never seen it like it is. So you're probably aware of that if you have any familiarity with the news. If you read the e-news that Wallace sends out telling you about different prayer needs and such within the church, one thing that appears weekly under our nation is pray for wisdom and strength for our leaders in local and national government. Should we do that? We should. And we're going to discover why and how from Proverbs this morning. So let's pray. Lord, our King, we acknowledge as we are looking at this subject this morning of how to pray for those who govern us, we want to acknowledge your glorious kingship. You are the Lord of all the earth. The earth is yours and all it contains. And best of all, we belong to you through grace, through Jesus. You've claimed us for yourself, Lord Jesus. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that you are preparing for us and awaiting us to enjoy our presence with you forever. And until then, Lord, we live under earthly dominions. And we believe from the scriptures it matters how they govern. And therefore, it matters how we pray for them. So help us now use your word to inform our prayers and our citizenship to the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ. Amen. So looking at the handout, beloved, how should you pray for your country I believe it's a wisdom issue because so much of uh, the verses we're going to look at appear in the wisdom literature, in Proverbs. And the first point we want to make is that we can pray confidently. On the strength of two grounds, we can pray confidently for our country. Who would read the first ground for us? We know how to pray because God tells us in his word what he wants for nations. So it's not a mystery what God wants for the nations. He's revealed it to us pretty clearly. And, uh, and secondly, we, we ask because we know God is in control or prayers would be pointless. The Lord God is Lord of the nations. Somebody read for us Revelation 1.5. Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth. I mean, do we believe that? Really? He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's their king. How about Psalm 47, 7 and 8? Someone read that. For God is king over all the earth. God reigns over the nations. Why do we read that and doubt that sometimes? Does anybody have wonder about that when you read that? Yes, why? Because there's so much chaos. But what's that? Yeah, it, it just looks like it's out of control, doesn't it? It's sometimes hard to believe. God's in control because we think when God's in control, it would look like this, much different than we see. Thank you, Lisa. Psalm 22:28 affirms what? Someone? All nations. Thank you, and Proverbs 21:1 assures us that the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So when you read that on the 21st of the month, you should burst into prayer. How? Somebody give us an example. How do you want to pray on the strength of reading that? 
Lord? He's in control. That, that he actually touches the heart of these rulers and, and turns their thoughts to him. Yes, Lord, they're, you're un, they're under your control. You have power over them. You're the one that can turn their hearts. You're the only one that can turn their hearts. Please turn their hearts to do your will, to do what is right. Stop the persecution in China. Change those rulers. They're under the dominion of darkness and wickedness, are they not? So many countries in this world, human beings suffer from awful leaders, tyrants. Our government was set up to protect us from that, to protect us from tyrants. You probably know enough of your American history and the forms of government. Our government was set up by people who believed in total depravity, that power is easily abused by human people. That's why we have different spheres of power, checks and balances. Every ruler and nation ought to be humble before God. Somebody read for Isaiah 40 for, for us. Behold, the nations are like drops in a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. While the nations are as nothing before him, they are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Okay, could God be any more clear? <laughs> he is establishing his supremacy over the nations that come and go. Now, who knows if the United States, do we, most of us like our country? Yes, and, and we should, okay? But two, three hundred years from now, who knows if we'll exist? When you read the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, you read about all these countries gone. Some of them, God said, you're going to be gone and you're never going to be rebuilt, and God kept his word. So the nations are nothing in compared to the glory, the intransient, insurpassable majesty of God. So every nation should say what? Well, in light of the fact that we're nothing, we first of all need to worship you and honor you and adore you. Every ruler of every nation should do the same. And that's the next point. Every ruler, government, nation exists ultimately at God's pleasure and for his purposes. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Thank you, Aaron. So what does that do to your heart? What should that create in your heart? Reading that. Sorry? Loyalty? Humility? Faith? Submission to authority? Trust? Trust. Whatever president is elected, I know Sarah Saunders took heat for this in the news recently. And I, I don't know exactly how or why she said it, but everyone that's in authority in this world is in authority by God's appointment, whether or not you like them. They're there because God ultimately saw to their election. Not just our favorite president, your favorite president, or whatever. God, right? That's what it says. They exist and are established by God. Now, Paul's writing when, when the Roman authorities are persecuting Christians. And he, he can even say this. Uh, David's prayer breathtaking in 1 Chronicles 29.11. Who would read that for us? Yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. You are the ruler of all things. Thank you. Let me just go back for a second to the, to the verse before. 
one of the things I enjoy watching are something called a football life, and they're 55-minute vignettes on football players. And I was a football player and enjoyed the NFL throughout my life. And they did one on Steve Largent, who was a Hall of Fame receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, who's a strong Christian. I think he's from Oklahoma, and he ended up running for office in Oklahoma. Um, I, I think he served... Was he ever a senator from Oklahoma? I know he was no, a U.S. representative. Congressman. Congressman. Yeah. And then he wanted to run for governor in the state of Oklahoma, and he thought it was a slam dunk. And some nefarious thing came up that basically kept him from being elected. And I, he's do, doing the interview with his wife at, long after the fact, and he said, obviously God didn't want me to have it. Doesn't mean that whatever foul play was propagated against him with evil motives, he believed on the strength of God puts people, he said, God obviously didn't want me to have that office. And he ultimately rested in that. It's a wonderful testimony. So thank you, David, King David, for, for proclaiming the greatness, the power, the glory of God. He's exalted over all, ruler of all things. For my two cents, I would want anyone, beginning with church leaders, to believe that and be humbled by that and act in light of that. How would you like to be in a country where every person in authority believed that? I would. I'd love that. And God wants that. Daniel, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He had a pretty couple rough weeks. <laughs> Somebody read what God finally showed him when the truth went off in his soul. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Thank you, James. So in an ultimate sense, compared to God, we are nothing. Having said that, those who acknowledge the supreme rule of God are terribly significant in the way they are citizens or in the way they govern, right? Terribly significant. What gives it significance and gravitas is the fact that we acknowledge this. I'd love every ruler in every country to acknowledge this. should be part of their um, installation vows. And how about Psalm 148.11? Again, this is why we pray confidently that God's going to do something. Who would read that? Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above heaven and earth. Thank you. So who is being summoned to praise the Lord? All kings. All kings. Judges. Princes. Judges. Is that how you would like all the Supreme Court judges in the United States to begin their day? Yes. They might disagree on different issues. I don't think this guarantees that they're going to see everything exactly the same way. Because Bible-believing Christians align themselves with different political parties, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Greenpeace. Well-meaning, Bible-believing Christians find themselves having different convictions about different political issues. But man, that would be a great way for everyone that rules and judges, not least your church leaders, to begin their day. And it is why, beloved, as a pastor, I believe my greatest gift to whatever church I serve is my personal worship of Jesus. Because I think everything flows out of it. 
everything flows out of my personal worship. Doesn't mean I'm going to make the decisions, doesn't mean I'm going to get it all right, but it's the least I can do in the discharge of my duties is to begin as a worshiper. I think you want that for your deacons, your elders, your pastors. Yes, Mary? Um, Mike, I, I always have a problem with, with oh, you know, what about the, the rules now we're, we're told that we have to be subject, but when it's something that is wrong, yeah, that 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 always. But I'm sure a lot of people are concerned about that. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. abortion or something like that. What, what do we do? Well, there's a couple issues there. Mary's question is: Do Christians follow the state when the state commands them to do something unlawful? Answer: No. 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 Do Christians follow the state when the state forbids them to do what is lawful? What do they do? They, for, they, they, um, they obey God, not the state. And you see this in the New Testament. The, the rulers said, stop preaching in Jesus' name. And they said, whether it's right in your eyes to do that, we're going to keep preaching in Jesus' name because Jesus told us to do that. They're going to disobey. Um, yeah, this, in the Old Testament, what's a classic example? Daniel. Daniel is one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would get examples. Daniel. Dan, I'm sorry? Daniel. Daniel. Um, the gal who hid the spies. Sorry, I'm forgetting her name. Rahab. 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 That was against the law. And Moses' mother. They were, yeah, she hid Moses. And they, all those babies were to be destroyed. So... So we are never to follow the state into disobedience. Okay. It's a different issue what happens when the state is enacting laws that are uh, uh, obviously unbiblical. And we have plenty of them in our, in our culture. So how do we pray generally? How many of you have seen the bumper sticker or heard the slogan, God bless America? God bless America. God, I've heard that. Um... The longer I live in America and the longer I live as a Christian, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, we need to talk about that. I have heard, seen the bumper sticker, America bless God. And that is in comportion with the verse we've just seen up above. America bless God. If what we mean by God bless America is, let us be great and prosperous, well, I would say there's a whole lot of conditions God puts on how he decides to prosper a nation. Lots of conditions. So just, it's just a phrase that begs for a whole lot more dialogue, not least the larger question, in God's eyes, what esteems a nation? Now, I will tell you, the first time I wrote this handout a couple years ago, I had the phrase, what makes a nation great? I've changed that for <laughs> obvious reasons. <laughs> because that may carry a, a, a certain connotation in your own understanding. So I have cleaned that up in light of current events. But it is the larger question, in God's eyes, what esteems a nation? As God looks at a nation, why should he favor it? Why should he bless it? Let's try to answer that question. First of all, Proverbs 14.34 says Righteousness exalts a nation. Okay. God want to see righteousness in a nation? 
without a doubt, because God wants reflected something of the glory of His righteousness in all the earth. And where does He choose to begin, beloved? Look in the mirror. Yeah, with me and you. You and me. That's where He... So when you read that in Proverbs, it will move you to pray for your country. Lord, turn my country from unrighteousness. Give my fellow citizens an aptitude for righteousness. This alone is what exalts a nation, not the strength of an economy, which is important. Not how good its sports teams are, but righteousness exalts a nation. Um, so, but the God's got to begin with me. Does it follow that wickedness is bad for nations? If righteousness exalts one, does it follow that wickedness de-exalts a nation. Do you think it follows? Do you think that follows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's read 29, 6, Proverbs 29, 16. Jump right in. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteousness will see their fall. Okay. Why does transgression increase when the wicked increase? As a, as a rule, remember... Aphorisms, Proverbs are stating things that as a rule are, are the case. Why? What do the wicked do? They sin and they encourage other people to sin with them. The wicked loosen the lovely, beautiful, restraining laws of God. They're there for a reason. 28-28. Uh, when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. So if you, if, you know, if we studied earth history and we studied the history of countries where wicked people rise, citizens go into hiding because it's an awful place to live or they have to flee their countries. That's an extremely sad thing, isn't it? Yeah, 20th century is but one example of it in a multitude of ways. 2812? With the right, righteous triumph. There is great glory, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it makes you want to pray for what? The righteous to triumph. Righteous people to triumph. That's what glorifies a nation, for starters. And when the righteous triumph, typically the laws, the mores, the practices of that place, that city, that country, that home, that school, Bring glory to God and bring good to people. 29.2, when a wicked man rules, people groan. Obviously. So God desires that people and nations have freedom to worship and live in peace. We'll see this later in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, which says... Somebody? Yep, sorry. Thank you. Correspondingly, it is incumbent upon government officials to do what in light of this verse? To provide protections and uh, hedges for that to be able to happen. Yeah, make sure this can happen. Every government ruler or judge should wake up in the morning, see that verse, and go, okay, ultimately, how I judge should allow this to happen. Right? How about 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2? First of all, I urge that in any 
So on the strength of that alone, your Enu says, please pray for wisdom and strength for those in authority. On the strength of that alone. And uh, the Westminster Divines uh, obviously picked up on that as well, and that's why. We'll look at this at the end if we have time. That's why I copied the chapter from the Westminster Confession of Faith on the civil magistrate. Okay, and uh, that's Psalm 125, let Israel have quietness and peace. That's a good thing for human beings. God wants good things for human beings. Governments have a lot to do with how well people enjoy those things. Doesn't mean you can't worship God without them. Doesn't mean you can't be happy without them. Right? We're ultimately dependent only on God. But God obviously cares about the quality of human life for human beings. And inextricably related to that is the way people govern them. Pretty much common sense. So far, so good. Let's just pause there and see if you have any questions or comments or reflections. Yes, sir? Is it fair to say that perhaps part of our confusion is confusing prosperity with blessing? Okay, tell us more. Tease it out. So think about the fact that God elevated nations to punish Israel and gave them prosperity in order that they might be successful in expanding their political authority. God had a specific design place for that. Not necessarily, I think it would be wrong to say he was blessing those nations, but he was certainly prospering them towards his end. Okay. So we can't exactly equate prosperity with blessing. Sometimes that could be a curse. It could be, it might be a sign of well, it could be very dangerous, right? Because we know that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So you have to be real careful with it, both at an individual level and for a culture. And cultures that are very prosperous tend to go to sleep spiritually. And I, I think that's particularly relevant today with the whole prosperity gospel kinds of things we see in our own country. Yeah. It confuses those things. Good. Okay, thank you. That's Melissa's father down from Pennsylvania. For the weekend, I guess. Okay. Any other comments or questions? Or? In Proverbs, always said that once you have wisdom, then all that prosperity follows. The first off, you have to have wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Yes. As a rule, the wise person's life is prospered. As a rule. That's right. Doesn't mean if you don't have a lot of prosperity, you're not wise. It doesn't mean if you are wise, you're necessarily going to have prosperity. But again, remember, Proverbs are aphorisms, generalized observations about the nature of the way God has wired the world. Proverbs says there's much treasure in the house of the wise. Why as a rule? Because they're doing economics, they're doing work, they're doing life according to the fear of the Lord, and that tends to produce a life that's good to live as a rule. Okay. We have to, as soon as we say that, we have to remember our brothers and sisters in places in this world that are being persecuted, and your e-news always has that in there as well, praying for those who are being persecuted. Thank you. But remember James chapter 1. James says wealth is a trial, because when you have more of it, you tend to look down on other people who don't have it. You tend to trust it. Wealth is very 
much a, it's a blessing of the Lord that makes wealth, and yet it's very dangerous. Right? It's a blessing to have a chainsaw. You can get a lot of work done with a chainsaw. But whenever I'm using a chainsaw, I'm always saying to myself, don't get in a tussle with a chainsaw. Don't get in a tussle with a chainsaw. They're very, very dangerous. So is money. You should get your paycheck. I think I used it in a sermon one time. You should get your paycheck, and, and, and as you put it in the bank, write danger on your blessing slash danger. Okay, well, we, I think we've talked about money in the past. Yes? citizens that way, not least those who belong to Jesus. So, so what is the answer to the question? How do we pray for, how do we encourage our Chinese brothers and sisters under these, this oppressive regime? Allison? I try to pray for the conversion of the speakers, yep. that God would work in their hearts to see that what they're doing is wrong. Good. Absolutely we should do that. On the strength of everything we've seen thus far. Good. What else? What? Be encouraged. Persevere. Let their light continue to shine. Never give up on their quest for righteousness and testifying to Jesus, even if it's going to be painful and cost them their life. We have to, we have to pray that? Yes. And I think putting a complete trust in God. Because in Vietnam, there was a period when it goes through that there was such bad period like that. But then after that, it's like, it seems like the people, the younger generation are completely wiped up. Like the old, you know, like the Buddhism, all the other religions. And it's, they seem to be opening up to Christianity in this generation. So I think putting trust that God's work doesn't doesn't yield results immediately. So you have to have hope and look in, in the long run. Yeah. Thank you. It reminds me of the story. It's, it's not exactly relevant, but I still want to tell you anyway. <laughs> One of my heroes is a man named Samuel Davies. He was trained in the law colleges of uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, but made his way down into Virginia to preach the gospel uh, during the 18th century. And unlike some of the denominations, I won't say who, that came into Valley of Virginia that snubbed the Church of England, said, we don't care whether or not you license us, we're going to preach anyway. Uh, and maybe that was the right thing to do. Samuel Davies was the first man licensed by the state church in Virginia to preach with, with their blessing. He, um, he loved the slaves, he, he brought them biblical literature, he had them into his home, he had meetings, he loved on, that's one reason why I love him. But, um, and, and he was highly influential on the oratory, or, oratory skills of Patrick Henry. 
Patrick Henry. So here's why I'm telling you the story. He, he, um, he would go over to England to raise money for orphanages in, in the colonies. And he was preaching one time in front of the King of England. And you know how they, the king would sit in their little boxes and have their own special seats and everything. And he wasn't paying attention. He was fiddling or talking to his wife or something. And Samuel Davies stopped in the middle of the sermon. And he looked at the king. And he said, when Jesus, the king of kings, the lion of Judah, roars, all his subjects must listen. <laughs> I think he did that at some peril to his own welfare. But how do you like that? <laughs> Woo! Go Samuel. Yes? Um, isn't China a part of the United Nations? And isn't there's a law in the United Nations where it protects basic human rights? And one of that is freedom of faith? That's a really good question. Uh, I'd have to defer to... I think they're in the United Nations, yes. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of inconsistency, I guess, in the way things are applied for political reasons. Yeah, how sad, right? Well, and I think the Chinese government would say, look, we have these state churches. We allow freedom of religion. But everybody else knows it's a state-controlled thing. It isn't real freedom of religion. Okay. So how do we pray specifically? How's, how's my time? Ten. How do we pray specifically? Proverbs speaks of nations in terms of three categories, its laws, its leaders, and its people. Its laws. Is there a source of laws that transcend land and time? Our founding fathers said there are fixed laws that always are right because they come from a lawgiver, God, who never changes. Proverbs 14.34 bears that out. Who would read that for us? Righteousness exalts the nations and sin is a disgrace to anything. So God alone has the right to define sin and righteousness, not human beings, because he's God. And so lawmakers should strive to see that the general principles of conformity to the law of God are met in laws. How do you, so we should pray that bad laws are overturned, good laws are put into practice. And we have a lot of bad laws, I won't be specific about them in our country, from people who don't think biblically. And if you don't think biblically, why would you come up with good laws except by common grace? Right? But we do have a lot of bad laws. They come from a worldview. Ideas have consequences. The idea that the right to privacy, as it was argued by the Supreme Court in 1973, the right to privacy implied the ability to kill a baby in the womb, is a bad law. And we unequivocally believe that as a church. It is a horrible law. But it came from ideas. All right, how do we pray for our leaders? So please pray, beloved, for good laws to be made, bad laws to be changed. How do we pray for our leaders? How should you pray for your leaders? Pray that they do what God wants them to do for the right reasons. What's the right reason? Again, Romans 13.1. Someone? For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Again, every person in the Senate and Congress and the President's Cabinet would say that they, when they begin their debt. My authority comes from God. He established it. Far be it for me to deviate for a second from what he wants. <laughs> right? That's how, that's how we want our leaders to think. 
Psalm 2.10. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. So all judges and all kings of the earth are summoned by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in this context, as it goes on to say, kiss the Son to be in love with Jesus Christ. If you're not, you'll never ultimately govern correctly. You might get some things right by common grace, but never ultimately judge for the right reason, and that is because you're in love with Jesus. Do we want everyone in authority in this country to be in love with Jesus? Absolutely. And again, it doesn't mean they're going to agree on everything. I just I want to point that out. So what should they do? They must protect their nation by understanding and ensuring justice. Proverbs 29.4 The king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes overthrows it. Okay, you read that verse, you want to pray, what about those in authority? God would keep them from bribery, being bought. Whether it's an interest group, a lobby, I don't want people in authority owing their decisions to people with money and bribes. Absolutely not. I want them to govern based on what is right by what is just. And again, I don't know how anyone would understand that except for knowing the general principles of justice that are given in God's word. Psalm 28.5. Incidentally, do you know why in America that the, uh, you are presumed innocent until proven guilty? That's a biblical idea. Do you know why in America you have the right of appeal in a court decision in most cases? Do you know why? That's a biblical idea. The right of appeal. Uh, people will show you that our laws were set up not distinctly Christian because there's nothing about the name of Jesus in our laws, but they were established largely around biblical principles of justice. And there was a time in our country when a, a group of people came into power and they didn't like that. They, did, they didn't think that way and they wanted to make changes and they brought about changes. Okay. Um... Is, where are we down to now? 28.5? Proverbs. 28. Yeah, thank you. Read that. Great. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Okay, we want all of our leaders to seek the Lord. Give them understanding on very complex and difficult issues. And can we pray specifically for um, Chuck Garriott and Mission to State through our PCA denomination who whose goal was to go and be amongst the people who are influencing and making the laws in our nation. Yes. So Chris Garriott, our RUF director's brother, Chuck, was a pastor in Oklahoma, and he came how many years ago? About 10 years ago? To do ministry to state. More than that. Ministry to state, which is part of the PCA, so he's meeting, doing Bible studies on Capitol Hill, seeking to, seeking to do justice. So go Chuck. Is it Chuck and Debbie? Mm -hmm. Chuck and Debbie? We also know a Chuck and Debbie that are missionaries. Okay. Um, Proverbs 28, like a roaring lion, a rushing bear, a wicked ruler over a poor people, a leader who is a great oppressor, lacks understanding. He who hates unjust gain prolongs his days. Enough said, right? 
So we should pray for justice of necessity. Well, I'm sorry, justice of necessity requires punishment of evildoers. And Paul tells us that's what the governments are there for. Somebody read the passage from Romans 13. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear before you? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of good for you. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Thank you, Aaron. There's a lot in that verse, but obviously people need governments to punish evildoers. That's called bearing the sword. And whether or not you believe in capital punishment or incarcerating or whatever, there needs to be consequences for people that bring harm on members of society. God wants that. God's put government in place to do that. When they fail to do that, they are dishonoring their God-given purpose. The million-dollar question is, how should they be removed? <laughs> what is a just revolution? <laughs> I know Babylonian Christians who disagree on whether or not the American Revolution was a just revolution, so we won't go there. <laughs> First Peter 2, Submit to the king or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and praise of those who do right. That is the explicit purpose of government. And well-meaning, Bible-believing Christians disagree on how far a government should reach and what it's called to do. That much is clear. That much is clear. Um, Deuteronomy 7, this is the king should read the book of the law all the days of his life, that his heart might not be lifted up above his countrymen, and he may not turn aside from the commandment. So King David is to be familiar with the law of God so that he does what? Or every king should so that he does what? Judge righteousness. Stays humble, judges righteousness, knows what God wants, doesn't, in, doesn't inflict what he wants on people, but does the will of God. And then, uh, how's our time? Uh, you have about six minutes. Oh, good, six minutes. How to pray for the people. We should live to bless our cities. The church needs to have a vision to bless its city. Proverbs 11 says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is glad Thank you, Dory. And 11.11. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. By the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Great. So we want our mouths to prevail over the mouths of the wicked. By the way we live, by the way we speak, by the kind of citizens we are. So to what extent is College Park exalted for the presence of Wallace Church? So that, that's a discussion your elders want to have with you in the town hall meetings as we think about what our vision is and look at who we've been and who we are. We're going to give a forum to ask those kinds of questions. We're probably not going to get all the answers, but as we begin to move towards our new pastor, we're interested in having that discussion in different ways. Um, and then when the exiles went to Babylon... That what would be your instinct being thousands of miles from your homeland in exile in Babylon? What would be your instinct? How would you live there? With the grumpies. <laughs> God says, no. Seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for its, in its welfare you have welfare. That's how we want to pray for America, for College Park, for the places that we live. Pray for its welfare. Pray for the Lord's blessing on it.
And then finally, we should pray for churches, pray that the church will do what God has called it to do, and for many more churches to be planted. Is the world better off for the church planting efforts of Christians throughout the centuries? The world better off? Yes. Should be. Yeah. It should be. So that's one reason I'm an advocate of church planting. It's one way God grows the kingdom. And remember what Wallace has done over its history. It has chosen to split, send off its members into different parts of the suburban Maryland area to, um, to create a greater place of influence. So we've got the church in Lord, we've got the church in Bowie, we've got a church in Silver Spring. We've got, where's the fourth one? Help me. Bowie, Laurel, Silver Spring, and what? Fulton. Fulton. Okay. So presumably those communities are better off for the gospel witness of those churches. Okay, so I'm kind of steering away from some of the harder questions here by definition. I don't believe Jesus was a Democrat or a Republican. I don't, I don't believe that. There's problems with both parties. I want everybody in all these parties to do what the scripture says. So. Oh, last, go ahead, Janice. I was just thinking back to Jeremiah and how, uh, uh, you know, Judah at that point was not obeying God. And God said, love me and love people. And they weren't. And one of the reasons, part of his judgment, was to send his witness into other lands when he sent them off to Babylon. Mm. So sometimes the persecution of the people is to scatter the blessing of the gospel to other places. Good. So, you know, that just kind of made me think a little bit about that in terms of the welfare you're going to exile. You didn't do what I told you. I'm sending you off for a number of reasons. But one is for you to bless the people there. Good. Yeah. Very good. I have copied for you what is also in the back of the Trinity Hymnal, which is the chapter from the Westminster Confession of Faith on the civil magistrate. So our forefathers of the faith at the Westminster Assembly, 1643 to 1648, thought it was important enough to put in their systematic theology a chapter on the government. And I think you'll read in here... I hope I haven't contradicted anything that's in here because as an ordained PCA minister, I say I believe that. All your elders and deacons say they believe that. So I hope what I've taught you comports with what's in here. These guys are a lot smarter and more articulate in the way they say it, but I just want you to have this because this is the official belief of our denomination, what's written here, unless someone took an exception to it. And I don't hear many exceptions uh, from ordained officers to this chapter. So, All right? Time. You have about two minutes. Two minutes. Let's, so we have a season of prayer for our country. Let's do that. We have two minutes. Any of you pray, lead out so we can all hear, and then I'll close. Uh, who would like to start us, just so we get us started quickly? Who would like to start us? James, thank you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, what a joy it is that we can pray um, mm. for this nation you've allowed us to live in, and uh, we thank you for your word, where it's so full of so many of your promises, your precious promises uh, about how we should pray. So we, we ask you would lead us in our prayer today. Uh, lead us by your Holy Spirit too as we pray uh, corporately and individually for our nation. And we thank you so much. I, I just am reminded of one verse that says that 
uh, uh, <coughs> blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Mm. And uh, you are our God. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we get to be an influence in this country, Lord. And we ask you would use us uh, in that way. You would uh, help us to, uh, as we pray for our leaders, you called us to pray for uh, our, our, our government leaders, Lord. And so uh, we do that now individually and corporately. So lead us in that way right now. Thank you. sometimes even among your children, Lord, but I pray that you would uh, keep our hearts and minds focused on you and that our only side should be taken with you, what you consider to be right, and uh, and help us to not allow our hearts uh, grow the roots of bitterness because of uh, our own uh, desires to take different sides, because there's only one side, and that is to be focused on you and fulfilling your plans for us and uh, we just ask that your children would not succumb to the anger and bitterness in this world, Lord. Jesus. 
Amen. We pray uh, the conversion of all those in authority, mm-hmm. judges over us, that they know Jesus, mm-hmm. and give them humble hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Hey, when I pray this morning up front, can I ask someone to pray with me? Would you, would you pray with me for the, for the nations? Sure. Who would pray for uh, a missions prayer? I'll tell you how to pray, but just come up. Who would like to pray the missions portion of our prayer? Someone... Who would join me for that? Just come up to the, during the prayer time, just come to the mic. Who would pray for the, I'm looking.